What's going down, everybody? You have tuned into another episode of Kicking Out at Two this week as we celebrate the upcoming 1,000th episode of SmackDown, WWE SmackDown. I thought we'd open up this week's show with one of my favorite themes from SmackDown that took place in 2009, the opening theme song, if you will, from Divide the Day and Let It Roll. Uh kind of song that you know pumps me up you know when i'm watching wrestling when i'm especially when i was watching smackdown at that time i just thought it was a pretty cool tune to open up this week's show and since we are celebrating the 1000th episode i thought this week i give you guys my very own personal kicking out it to smackdown top 10 list uh wwe more recently on wwe.com the wwe app they've been doing a number of smackdown lists and retrospectives to get you set and excited for the upcoming 1000th episode set to take place next tuesday and uh they've done a 15 greatest matches they've done the the top 15 uh, or top 20 i think smackdown greatest superstars and they've also done their very own top 10 list so this week we're going to put a little compare and contrast uh, with my SmackDown greatest moments as opposed to WWE SmackDown greatest moments. See where we agreed, see where we disagreed, and uh, you know, go from there. So uh, before we get started, if you guys have any memories from SmackDown, uh, some of your favorite moments, matches, promos, whatever the case may be, then hit us up over on social media, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. Also on Twitter, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at kicking out two. That's K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T and the number two if you like what i got on this list then by all means let your voice be heard if you don't like it if you disagree if you got some moments that maybe i missed that you felt were worthy of being a part of a top 10 list whether it's my top 10 list or wwe's top 10 list then by all means let your voice be heard tell me i want to know i want to know what you guys are are, are thinking the, the the kicking out of two social media i want it to be as interactive as possible with you guys and the rest of the kicking out of two crew so by all means debate discuss digress whatever the case may be um all right let's let let's dive deep into this list the list of mine as well as the list that wwe uh you know puts out but before we do that um i have a list here of honorable mentions that i was uh thinking of putting on the smackdown top 10 list mine personal smackdown top 10 list but for whatever reason they just they just didn't make the cut so uh, i'm just gonna kind of get the honorable mentions out of the way because i feel that they at least need to be addressed but like i said didn't make the cut because there were other more important moments uh one personal moment for me uh that almost made my top 10 list but i decided to to take it off was uh an episode of SmackDown from May of 2002 that I attended at the Harbor Yard in uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. It was uh, Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho challenging Edge and the undisputed champion of the WWE, Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, uh, returning to the red and yellow. Uh, I just remember at 20 years old, I never thought I would be able to see Hulk Hogan wrestling in a ring again, let alone live and in person and in an arena. And the, the, the place was hot for it, man. It was just so cool to to be a part of that time period at the time in 2002 when he was making that nostalgia run and that comeback with uh, you know starting with the nwo and leading up to that wrestlemania with the rock and like i didn't expect to see hogan wrestle i didn't expect him to be the champion i sure as hell didn't expect to be there so that was probably the first time as a wrestling fan where i felt nostalgia 
classic. You know, I was 20 years old, but I started watching wrestling when I was three. So 17 years prior, I you know I had some some uh, some miles on my wrestling fandom, so to speak, and it was just cool to be a part of. And I I bought the shirt, I bought the bandana, I cupped my ear, and I've always been a Hulkamaniac, and I will be till the you know till till the day they put me six feet under. So uh, you know, pretty cool moment, uh, uh, a moment that. Uh, you know, speaking of Hogan, uh, Vince McMahon revealing his lethal dose of poison, the N.W.O. Um, yeah, that was a pretty cool uh, lead up. I mean, we were coming in, you know, from a time period in WWF at the time. Uh, they were coming off the uh, the horrible invasion storyline and uh vince mcmahon and rick flair were co-owners of the wwf and they were at odds and you know flair had kind of drove vince insane and vince thought well you know i'm not gonna let flair kill my creation i'm gonna you know kill my own creation with my lethal dose of poison and that's the nwo and uh the build-up throughout the night where he was you know kind of talking to himself and he was you know acting very you know out of sorts and and kind of you know going over the edge with his uh with his uh, with some of his statements and then he's in the mirror and he turns around and the reflection in the mirror sees the nwo letters spray painted on the back of his big cushy office chair um pretty cool visual and one of the more underrated vince mcmahon segments in uh, wwe history uh, another moment that almost made my top 10 list was sexy kurt from 2005 kurt angle is getting ready to wrestle Shawn michaels at that year's wrestlemania wrestlemania 21 and he uh he uh he showed you know just why he is a all-around great entertainer and performer by dressing up as Shawn michaels and you know singing Shawn michaels theme song but adding a little twist to it with the sexy Kurt and uh, Sensational Sherry was a part of that segment. She kind of backed Kurt Angle up, and then at the end, Angle uh, put her in the ankle lock and kind of sent a message to Shawn Michaels that you know, I, you know, you you've never met someone like me. You've never come across someone like me, and at WrestleMania, you're you're gonna be in for it. And I thought that was kind of a cool moment, something that almost made my top ten. But like I said, didn't make the cut because there were other important moments that that I felt needed to be on that list. Uh, you know, speaking of Kurt Angle and his comedic, entertaining chops, another moment that almost made it was the the Jimmy Crack Corn guitar solo with him and Steve Austin when they were trying to cheer up Vince after uh, the the alliance was uh, really getting the best of Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, some of the funniest stuff that not only Kurt Angle uh, did, but Stone Cold Steve Austin did as well. It was truly uh, entertaining stuff, and that that came really close to cracking my top ten. But as no pun intended, but uh, like I said more important issues and uh finally uh an issue or a, a moment excuse me that didn't crack my top 10 but made wwe's top 10 was uh the main event from the very first SmackDown, not the pilot episode that took place in April of 99, but the actual very first SmackDown, Triple H and The Rock for the WWE Championship with Shawn Michaels as the guest referee when Shawn Michaels screwed The Rock and aligned himself up with Triple H, China, and Shane McMahon. Uh, even though it was brief and it was kind of a one-off, uh, I thought it was pretty cool and a great way to... Uh, you know, set the tone for the, the, the vibe and the feel of SmackDown and really give it an identity in WWE to its fan base. And I was really hoping for a dream match with Shawn Michaels and The Rock at the following year's WrestleMania. Um, even though Michaels was retired and he was, you know, 
the commissioner and he made a few one-off appearances here and there. I thought that super kick against The Rock was going to lead to something at WrestleMania 2000. I was really hoping for it. I'm, I'm a big Shawn Michaels guy. The Rock is one of my all-time favorites. He's in my top five and it was uh, it was truly uh, you know something that I was looking forward to and unfortunately it didn't come to be. Michaels would still kind of flounder in and out of uh, storylines uh, from time to time within WWE. But a, a moment that WWE did put on their top 10 list that also made it on my top 10 list and coming in at number 10 was from earlier this year in March of 2018 when Daniel Bryan announced that he was cleared by WWE Medical to return to in-ring action. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a Daniel Bryan fan, I was overly excited that he had his opportunity to get a second chance and a, and a, and a new lease on his wrestling career because I thought that, uh, you know, he was, you know, his, his career was cut short due to some concussion-related issues, and I was, I was really a big Daniel Bryan fan. I was a big fan of the story and, the, you know, the, the coming from underneath, you know, with his build to eventually becoming the champion at that WrestleMania in, in New Orleans in 2014, which I was there for, which was an awesome moment to be a part of. I'm, I wasn't a, a, a diehard big Daniel Bryan fan when he first came to WWE. Uh, he... I, I respected his his in-ring work, but I just felt like there was something missing. And I'm sure that I'm going to get lynched by the real diehard Daniel Bryan fans because I'm not referring to him as the American Dragon Bryan Danielson, that I didn't watch his stuff in Ring of Honor or what he did in Mexico and Japan. But I caught glimpses of it on the internet here and there, YouTube. But I didn't follow him faithfully until he came to WWE. And just his underdog story was, was something that a lot of people could relate to. And I felt um, he played an underdog very very well and he's a very relatable person to most wrestling fans and just that story of, of fighting from underneath to to prove he's one of the best and be recognized in the upper echelon of WWE folklore in the main event scene. It, it, it was truly an awesome story with him and the authority. And when it got cut short with the injuries and then he kind of came back and then he had to retire, um, I, I was really sad, you know. I mean, his health obviously comes first. And at the time, I was, you know, very happy that he was protecting his health for his, the sake of his family and for himself. But um, there was a part of me inside deep down that was a little selfish that was like, man, I I really hope he could come back like I hope they could find a way to bring him back um, in, a, in an in-ring capacity and not the stupid general manager uh, role that he was portraying and you know turns out you know things worked out for him and he fought for his dreams like he said in that promo that night because his dreams would fight for him and he went to many many uh, of the top, you know, neurologists in this country, and they've all cleared him to return. And then WWE kind of finally went through with it and, and decided, you know, that they would, they feel he's he's okay to wrestle. And it was just an awesome moment as a Daniel Bryan fan. But like I said, for someone that admired the story of his fight and the and the roller coaster ride that his career has had both on screen and behind the scenes that we know of uh, that's public knowledge it was it's something that i admired so much and it was cool to to watch that moment i made sure that when i saw the announcement on social media that he got cleared and he was going to make a statement on that night smackdown that you know 
that night SmackDown was was must see TV, whether it was the first segment or the last segment, and I don't remember. But uh, what was also cool about that segment was if if there were any naysayers that doubted Daniel Bryan's physical ability because of his concussion related issues, uh, that was put to rest really quickly when Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn came out and attacked him and power bombed him on the ring apron, a vicious power bomb. You know, all bumps are bad, and they they put a beating on on guys physically, but to take a bump on the 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 uh the, the solid ring apron on the outside holy cow man like I, I i almost cringed watching it but it got me excited for daniel bryan's return for wrestlemania earlier this year as he tagged with shane mcmahon against kevin owens and Sami Zayn, and you know that's why i put this at t- at the top you know of our uh Smackdown top. It was just so cool to, to watch it. And a lot of these moments are going to be, you know, very personable and relatable for me and very cool to watch. Um, just like this next moment, a moment that didn't make WWE's top 10 list. And I could probably understand why, because of a certain individual that was in this match that really no longer gets um, any kind of publicity and coverage. And rightfully so. Uh, was the Forgotten Tables, Ladders, and Chairs match from May of 2001 on SmackDown. Uh, Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit had won the WWF Tag Team Championships from the two-man power trip, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H. And that was the famous match where Triple H tore his quadricep as he planted his foot to um, you know, stop Jericho from uh, winning the match in the walls when he had Austin in the walls of Jericho. And then he continued the match, and we know, you know, the story there that you know he fought through all the pain and you know eventually it was it was revealed that he had torn his quadricep muscle and he would be out of action for a significant period of time so wwe creative and management had to kind of shift their storylines a little bit and they put benoit jericho in a tables ladders and chairs match on the following smackdown with the king's of the TLC matches, the Dudleys, the Hardys, and Edge and Christian. And uh, we all thought at that time that, you know, earlier that year at uh, 17 in Houston that we saw the last of the tables, ladders, and chairs matches with those three teams. But they added another dimension to it with, the with you know, Benoit and Jericho. And their tag team titles were put on the line, this four-way. And it was, uh, it was quite the surprise when I read the spoilers that they put that match on, you know, free TV. And I couldn't wait for that SmackDown that Thursday. And it was, it was one hell of a match uh you know the the story of you know benoit taking himself out early with the diving headbutt through the table and jericho kind of had to fight for himself in this match against the other three teams you saw all kinds of the the crazy spots with the spear off the ladder the leapfrog over one ladder with a leg drop from jeff hardy through the announce table onto one of the dudleys uh there was a Chris Jericho gave Edge the walls of Jericho on top of two ladders, and uh, it was just a sight to be seen. And uh, definitely, that moment kind of um, kind of got Jericho and Benoit at that time over the hump from being, you know, upper mid card guys that you know were treated as you know mechanics on the card that people knew would have great matches to guys that could hang in the main event it's it was it was an awesome match to to watch and it was on free tv and at that time they didn't put big major matches especially a tables ladders and chairs match on free tv in the main event so it was pretty cool to be a part of a guy who definitely made a mark within wwe and really made smackdown his home comes in at number eight the debut of Rey Mysterio in July of 2002 uh Rey Mysterio had uh 
was one of the guys that didn't come over from the WCW purchase, and he he worked the big shows in Mexico and some independents. But WWE locked him up a year later, and he re- he returned to pro wrestling on a mainstream level at that time because WWE was really the only game in town. But he brought the mask back with him. Now, if you guys all remember, Mysterio lost his mask in a match teaming with Conan against Scott Hall and Kevin Nash at Super Brawl in 1999 in WCW. And for the remainder of his tenure in WCW until the, the, the company was bought out by WWE, WWE, excuse me, Mysterio didn't wrestle with a mask. He had that, you know, clean cut, you know, young man, baby face kind of look. And in Mexico, the, the, the mask uh, situation, you know, they take that very seriously. You lose your mask, you lose your identity, and you can never wrestle with that mask again. And uh, I just found out recently uh, that Mysterio had reached out to um, some individuals within the Mexican wrestling community. I don't know if it was guys through AAA or, or whatever the case may be, but he had went to some members of the Mexican wrestling community and he had asked for their blessing. Um, as he was heading to WWE and wanted to know if they would be offended or hurt or would they accept him putting the mask back on again and they gave him his blessing and you know we're off to the races and that night he made his debut against Chavo Guerrero which I thought was a a good pick to um, have as Mysterio's first opponent in WWE both guys were familiar with each other during their time in WCW obviously with the friendship that the Guerrero family has with Rey Mysterio they know each other very well outside of the ring and it was uh, it, it was a fun match to showcase and highlight Rey Mysterio but the fun didn't end that evening because Mysterio came out at the end of the night I believe it was a cage match it was against Edge and Chris Jericho in a singles match and the Un-Americans of Lance Storm, Test and Christian got involved in the match and attacked Edge and, and was helping Jericho uh, uh, take out Edge during this cage match. A a young John Cena made an appearance to try and help Edge pre Doctor of Thugonomics, by the way. When Cena came out clean cut with the different color uh, Beto shorts and the that matched the knee pads and the boots, he had like 500 pairs that were like basic colors. And so Cena came out, tried to help, and then it was Mysterio that came out at the end, climbed the cage, and then at the top of the cage delivered an awesome crossbody to the Un-Americans, which can be seen on plenty of Rey Mysterio highlight reels, SmackDown highlight reels, WWE highlight reels. Uh, the that that was a, a great way to introduce Mysterio. Mysterio kind of stole the show that night, in my opinion. He had a great match, like I said, with Chavo. And then he came out at the end and did that crossbody in the run-in to try and help Edge from Jericho and the Un-Americans. And it was just overall a... a, a a great way to introduce Rey Mysterio to WWE. A lot of people knew who he was from his time in WCW, but um, WWE introduced him in a way that didn't make you forget about his WCW run and during his and his time in WCW, but they made you uh, remember this moment more. So coming in at number seven or number eight, excuse me, Rey Mysterio's debut in 2002. Another individual who's rumored to be returning on that same show. His moment comes in at number seven on this SmackDown Top 10 list. Uh, Back in 2002, like I said at the top of this show, um, 
Hulk Hogan made a return to WWE with uh, the 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 NWO and leading up to the the match with the Rock at WrestleMania, and then the fans kind of turned Hogan into a good guy, and he brought back the red and yellow, and he eventually won the WWE Undisputed Title from Triple H at Backlash the following month from WrestleMania in April. Uh, that that short little nostalgia run didn't last very long, uh, but it was fun while it lasted. It was certainly uh, made me feel like a young kid again. And he eventually lost the championship at the Judgment Day pay-per-view in May of that year uh, to The Undertaker. And it was the following SmackDown. They were in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and Hogan uh, came out to kind of thank the audience and you know it wasn't a retirement speech but it was like it was one of those like i don't know how many more i got left in me but if this was my last one thank you guys so much you've been awesome this has been such a cool experience blah 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 but before he could even utter those words for like 15 or 16 minutes the sold out crowd in montreal was giving him a a everlasting standing ovation it had to be the longest standing ovation i've ever seen um, at, a, at a wrestling show or even a lot of sporting events too I mean you know you don't see you know them standing and, and applauding someone for 15 minutes at a major league sporting event and certainly not at a wrestling event especially these days but at that time in 2002 uh, they, they certainly showed their love and their respect and their appreciation for Hulk Hogan and I just thought it was like it was it was such an awesome moment to see on TV the visual of all those people on their feet, nobody sitting down, clapping, cheering, bowing down to Hogan, praising Hogan. Like I said, I'm a Hulkamaniac, and you know, that was the first time where I felt nostalgic, and that moment, like, was almost like it solidified like his you know, greatest of all time status. And you could make arguments for other guys like Steve Austin and Ric Flair and even The Rock and, you know, a few other names as being the greatest of all time. Don't get me wrong. I, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily disagree with you. But Hulk Hogan, man, he put WWE on the map and he helped make it what it is today uh, in the early days. And when he came back in 2002, the fans, I think, knew that, respected that, appreciated that, and wanted to show their appreciation to him. Uh, even at one point, I think Hogan finally got the mic after like, you know, 10 minutes or so. I was like, you guys done? Like, you know, you guys are too much. I got something to say. And it was, uh, it was quite the, uh, the the scene on SmackDown that night and something you don't see nowadays. But um, like I said, Hogan's rumored to be coming back for the uh, the 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 SmackDown 1000th episode. I don't know what his role would be, but he was also rumored to be coming back at a number of events earlier this year when when him and WWE kind of patched things up and they've kind of accepted him. And so we'll see how it turns out. I'll obviously pop big because I'm a Hulkamaniac and see him come out and cup the year and get the big pop. It'll be pretty cool. But uh, I've talked before with other people how um, this time around, I don't think Hogan's return to WWE and the company is something that's going to be beneficial for him. More or less, it's, it's going to be a, a learning experience for the talents, the younger guys to learn from his mistakes that he made. And we'll get into the, the Hogan subject, you know, for another day. But, 
it should be pretty cool if he does show up. But yeah, that number seven, that never-ending standing ovation in Montreal was a was truly an awesome moment. All right, coming in at number six, another great moment to be a part of and to watch on television was uh, in 2004, Eddie Guerrero's WWE Championship celebration following his victory over Brock Lesnar at the No Way Out pay-per-view in February of 2004. Um, as a as a fan, uh, a longtime wrestling fan, uh, WWE management has always um, stuck to their guns and they've always liked the bigger, more muscular guys that were the, the that were the champions, that were the heavyweight champions, uh, you know, Hogan, Warrior, Diesel, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. They've, But at the same time, they've also flirted with and have gone to using smaller, more athletic guys like Bret Hart, like Shawn Michaels, and, uh, you know, AJ Styles currently, the WWE champion. And for me, um, I didn't think Guerrero was going to beat someone of the stature of Brock Lesnar. I really didn't. I thought Guerrero's story of, you know, coming back from his personal issues and they kind of incorporated that into the storyline and maybe coming up short against a guy like Brock but the, the, the people and his peers admiring his fight even though he came up short I thought that was the story that was going to be told I didn't think Guerrero was walking away with the title I really didn't but I was I was very happy to see him win the championship and it was kind of a time period where you know during that era you know, management stuck to their guns with the big guys, but they tested the waters with some of the more smaller athletic guys to have a run with the championship and see how well they would do. And this this situation, you know, came to be that they were that that they were given the keys to the car to Eddie Guerrero, and uh, I I thought it was just a, a great moment. His family was there. Uh, you know, you had the balloons, the confetti. He came out in the low rider, and uh, he was heading into WrestleMania as the WWE champion. And it was a it was a pretty cool sight. An individual who you know, obviously, there's been a lot of wrestlers over the years that have uh, have left uh, have left us too soon uh, due to a number of issues, health issues, and uh, you know, unfortunately, Eddie Guerrero left us way too soon a guy who could evoke just about every emotion out of you possible as a fan he can make you laugh he can make you cry he can make you hate him he can make you love him uh he he could do it all as uh he was the boss in that ring man he just he was just so so good and to see him with the WWE Championship was, I couldn't believe it, but I was super happy that he was the champion. And, you know, he went into that WrestleMania that year against Kurt Angle. They had a great match. And I personally thought Guerrero's run was a little short. I, I would have liked to have seen it go a little bit longer, but I don't know why that was the case. Some have said that, you know, ticket sales and ratings didn't do great with him as champion. Others say that uh, he felt too much pressure on him and he almost wanted to drop the title and he didn't want to be the champion anymore but you know that's all rumor and innuendo as my good friend bruce pritchard would say but yeah the eddie guerrero championship celebration from 2004 coming in at number six uh i want to give you guys uh you know we're almost we're at the halfway point right now and uh i want to uh 
touch upon some of these moments that WWE put in their top 10 list. Uh, one moment in particular, more recently, I, I mentioned him just a few moments ago, AJ Styles, uh, defeating Jinder Mahal for the WWE Championship on November the 7th, 2017, uh, from London, England. And, uh, I mean, it was a fun match to watch. I remember watching it, but I really don't think AJ Jinder for the WWE Championship really stood the test of time and really had such a significant impact on the history of SmackDown itself, but it comes, you know, it's, it's part of their top 10 list and WWE has a tendency to do all these lists and these retrospectives from time to time when they're trying to promote something or sell something. The shield, uh, a few months ago, uh, more recently was on this, uh, this, uh, factions list and they were number one and the whole internet wrestling community was in an uproar and, uh, you know, they, I didn't think they deserved to be at number one, but WWE only put that list out because The Shield was coming back on television. They needed to sell T-shirts. They needed to really um, establish their role as a dominant faction, and that's why they put them at number one. In three or four years, you'll probably get another factions list, and maybe The Shield won't be at number one. Maybe there'll be a new faction. Uh, the like I said, they have a tendency to make these lists and retrospectives in the moment. And you all remember the famous 50 Greatest Superstars DVD in 2010. It was not too long uh, before that DVD came out that Shawn Michaels had retired, that he was done wrestling. And The Undertaker retired him at that WrestleMania. And Shawn Michaels made it number one on that list. Hogan, Dusty, and Flair, they were all in the top 20, but they were nowhere near even the top five or the top 10. Uh, on that 50 greatest list, Michaels made number one because he just retired, and they were they were they were just trying to promote how great he was heading into retirement. It's it, it, it's propaganda. It is what it is. So I mean, I don't get too worked up about some of these lists, but uh, in this case, with this top 10 list of uh, the WWE's put out on their uh, the, their WWE app with the top 10 greatest moments in SmackDown history. I'm not losing sleep over some of these moments. Some of these moments deserve to be on here. Don't get me wrong. And they hold a place in SmackDown history. But I'm just comparing my list to theirs. And that's all I'm doing. I'm not losing sleep over it. Uh, so, you know, that right there, AJ Jinder, like I said, doesn't really stand the test of time in SmackDown history. But I get what they're trying to do uh, with, with AJ as champion recently. Yeah. And uh, another list, another match that made it on this list was the second Women's Money in the Bank ladder match that took place on June 27th, 2017. Carmella won the briefcase again over Charlotte, Natalia, Tamina, and Becky Lynch. Uh, James Ellsworth had a hand in her winning it a few days prior at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Fans were outraged that she never really won the match, and I, I kind of rationalized and equated it to her character being a heel and cheating to win and you know bad guys they cheat to win and she used Ellsworth to get the briefcase so they I mean I think the finish of that was done and designed so that they can do the rematch um, on SmackDown on on free TV and it was a fun match it was definitely better than the first ladder match I will say uh, so that comes in on the SmackDown greatest moments top 10 list that WWE put out another moment uh, that almost made it on my list was 
Stone Cold Steve Austin destroying the DX Express on April 27, 2000. Austin was scheduled to be in the Rock's corner going into his championship match at Backlash against Triple H. And Austin was establishing where, which side he was on. And he was definitely not on the McMahon-Helmsley faction, DX or whatever you wanted to call them. There was like three quarters of DX and the McMahon family kind of aligned together. And so Austin, uh, you know, did what he did best and he destroyed the the dx express their their coach bus um in the parking lot uh that was a, a fun little visual seeing that also that uh, another moment that almost made my list but made wwe's list was rhino going chris jericho through the smackdown set on august the 9th 2001 which resulted in the iconic smackdown fist uh entrance set that lasted for a number of years uh probably would say like six or seven years maybe uh they had the 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 big fist and the uh the the two video screens on you know on smackdown weekly here's a moment that definitely didn't make my top 10 and i feel like wwe um really they really hype this moment up as like a big deal uh from time to time when they when they want to highlight john cena and it's John Cena's debut against Kurt Angle from June 27, 2002. Uh, I remember uh, watching that episode, and, I mean, Kurt Angle was coming off a huge victory over Hulk Hogan, made Hulk Hogan tap at the King of the Ring pay-per-view a few days prior, and Cena was, uh, you know, ex- was coming out to accept Kurt Angle's op- open challenge. And, the the you know, he took him to the limit. It was a good match. And I felt like in at that time they were trying to establish angle more than they were trying to establish that Cena given angle the fight of his life and nowadays they seem to when they show that highlight reel and they and they show that clip they try to establish that Cena really made a big splash and he he did good don't get me wrong I'm not knocking John Cena and I'm definitely not a John Cena hater by any stretch of the imagination I respect what he does in the ring and I'm not like everybody else that likes to crap all over him but um now looking back on it like like i said he had a good match with angle but they didn't do a whole lot with him following that they didn't have a whole lot of follow-up for that i mean he got the handshake endorsement from undertaker he had that one pay-per-view match against jericho but they didn't really do anything with him for a few months until that halloween skit that he had with stephanie mcmahon where he's dressed up as vanilla ice at that halloween party backstage at smackdown and that was when things really started to you know get going for john cena's character and he was going in a different direction and they were taking his character a little bit more seriously but this moment with kurt angle like to me it, it it's not as big as they're making it out to be at least in my opinion i'm sure some of you may disagree and that's fine you have you have every right to disagree and if you want to do so you can head on over to social media and do that facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two or on twitter at kicking out two uh tell me if you, if you think i'm wrong that the john cena kurt angle moment on wwe smackdown greatest moments list is worthy of even being on this list you know agree disagree just let me know coming up next on my smackdown top 10 list is the billy and chuck wedding from september of 2002 uh, this was a lot of fun to go back and watch uh, i at the time i enjoyed the billy and chuck tag team i used to get a kick out of the 
the, uh, the all the the sexual innuendos and the tongue-in-cheek um, verbal back and forth between the two of them, kind of implying that they're lovers, done in a manner that I thought was. Uh, was was very tongue-in-cheek so uh when the wedding came i didn't really know what to make of it at the time because i kind of thought it was silly um that they were doing it i really did uh, i thought it was kind of stupid and i knew something was going to happen and you know lo and behold on that episode you had billy and chuck out there um stephanie mcmahon was the general manager of smackdown she attended the wedding rico who was their stylist he was the wedding planner and then you had a a a pastor or a priest that was delivering the ceremony and um before both guys were ready to say i do um they both you know kind of revealed that this was all a big publicity stunt and they were kind of blaming rico for setting the whole thing up and you know what's going on man what are you guys trying to pull and billy and chuck were like we're not gay you know we're just partners we're tag team partners we don't love each other like that what the hell are you trying to do rico and this was during a time period where in our society and in our country um homosexuality in some parts of our country was not accepted and there's still some parts of our country and and, and some people in our society that still don't accept uh people with different sexual orientations um i would like to think nowadays a majority an overwhelming majority of our country and our society has accepted it and but at that time in 2002 it was still very i wouldn't say hush hush but it wasn't as accepted as it is now so uh turns out at the wedding like i said it was really all big publicity stunt and then out of nowhere the pastor the preacher the priest whatever you want to call him um delivers those famous words did i just hear someone say three minutes and everybody was just in shock when they heard the familiar voice of raw general manager eric bischoff and he pulled his makeup off and his wig and then bischoff's cronies three minute warning jamal and rosie came out attacked billy and chuck they delivered a devastating samoan drop to stephanie mcmahon and it was revealed that rico and bischoff had kind of planned this whole thing to ruin this wedding because raw and smackdown at the time were not in a bidding war but both both brands were kind of feuding with each other because McMahon, Stephanie McMahon and Eric Bischoff were trying to establish themselves as the GMs of their respective shows. They were both very new as general managers during the early days of the brand extension. So this was kind of a, a, a brand warfare kind of storyline. And looking back on it years later, I laugh when I watch it. And especially Bischoff and, and his his uh, the way he was able to uh, change his voice when he was, you know, delivering his lines uh, throughout the ceremony. And it was just uh, it, it was just really funny stuff. And I was kind of disappointed that they didn't really go further with Billy and Chuck after this. I mean, I loved Billy and Chuck. Like I said, the, the over-the-top sexual innuendos, the tongue-in-cheek, uh, you know, overtones, and their their antics and their behavior and the way that they interacted with each other. I got a kick out of that. I thought that stuff was hilarious. And then after this, they kind of dropped the, all those sexual references, and they were just two guys 
named Billy and Chuck, and they were a tag team, and they didn't act that way anymore. They didn't even come out to that like corny Billy and Chuck music that they <laughs> that they played for quite some time, and then they just kind of faded away and didn't really do anything. But a lot of weddings you've seen in wrestling history, they never end on a good note. Uh, but this has got to be one of my favorite weddings in wrestling history because of just the overall the the comedic timing and and the way it was set up at the time in 2002 i didn't really care for it and i thought it was kind of silly but and i didn't take it really seriously but looking back on it and watching it at 35 now it was it was pretty cool to watch and pretty fun to watch so that's why it comes in at number five number four on our smackdown top 10 list the kicking out at two smackdown top 10 list comes to us from November of 2002, and the infamous Paul Heyman shoot interview on Vince McMahon in the middle of the ring just days before the 2001 Survivor Series event. Uh, To set the scene for you a little bit here, WWF had acquired WCW. They had acquired the trademarks in the video library to ECW after ECW had folded and the WWF was the only game in town and they they shot their wad pretty early by doing this alliance invasion storyline where Shane McMahon who had bought WCW from under Vince McMahon's nose led the WCW troops and Paul Heyman sold his ECW to Shane McMahon's sister, Stephanie McMahon, and they joined forces to become the alliance against the WWF. And it was just a very poor attempt at fantasy warfare. I mean, when we think of, you know, fantasy warfare with WWF and WCW, you know, the WCW guys that, you know, were a part of this, as my good buddy Hurricane Shane Helms would say, it was like, WCW put their JV squad against WWF's all-star team or their varsity team. Uh, him and I have had a discussion about this this subject before a number of years ago, and that was the best way he described it to me. And then it definitely rings true. I mean, no disrespect to Booker T, who's a phenomenal athlete, Hall of Famer, one of my favorite guys to watch in WCW. No disrespect to Diamond Dallas Page. But, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot after that. I mean, they had to supplement some of the top WWF guys to kind of beef up the alliance a little bit. You know, they had Stone Cold Steve Austin defect. Kurt Angle defected at one point. I mean, um Yes, the ECW alliance kind of helped them a little bit. And, and don't get me wrong, the ECW guys, you know, they had a load of the top stars from, you know, the the glory days of extreme championship wrestling with Taz and Raven and Rob Van Dam and Lance Storm, the Dudleys, Mike Awesome. I mean, they had a load of guys that were that were big names in ECW, but it, it didn't it just wasn't enough. I mean, when you think of WCW, you thought of Hogan Hall, Nash, Goldberg, Sting, Ric Flair, uh, Lex Luger, Randy Savage. You didn't have any of those guys. And, of course, we all know that a lot of those guys had those big, fat contracts from uh, AOL Time Warner, and they didn't have to work for a number of years and get paid big bucks, and I don't blame them for sitting at home. Uh, some people may want to blame Vince McMahon for not buying out their contracts and uh, you know, or maybe even offering them more money, but whatever the case may be, this, uh, this fantasy warfare between you know the WWF and the WCW-ECW alliance really fell short. And this storyline had lasted for a number of months and it was culminating at Survivor Series. And I was kind of glad it was because I was kind of over it at this point. 
just didn't, you know, didn't really resonate with me, couldn't take it seriously. And then there was that one moment when Paul Heyman on that SmackDown heading into Survivor Series, the final SmackDown heading into Survivor Series, just kind of let loose on the microphone. And we all know Paul Heyman, you know, as a guy that, you know, uh, can speak very well for himself. He's very eloquent uh in his uh in his delivery in his promos and he can also be very passionate and he can get into very heated arguments and conversations and it could come across very very well on the microphone and he certainly um got very heated at vince mcmahon and talked about how vince and his family destroyed the territory system and how vince and his family uh destroyed ecw and you heard a lot of heartfelt um words coming out of his mouth that a lot of people have expressed in in interviews prior to that and years later following this promo and it was just so raw and emotional and it was like that one moment at that time where things especially in wrestling didn't feel so contrived and and scripted and it was very organic and i i just i thoroughly enjoyed it i i was gonna watch the pay-per-view regardless but i mean i had more reason to because of Heyman's delivery to vince mcmahon in this promo all right um here at number three this is a moment that has made plenty of highlight reels over the years especially smackdown highlight reels and something that made wwe's top 10 list and coming in at number three on the official kicking out at two top 10 smackdown list is brock lesnar and big show collapsing the ring from june 12th of 2003 brock lesnar was the wwe champion at the time and he was defending the championship against the big show and uh, him and big show managed to make it up to the top rope and lesnar delivered a superplex to big show and both men landed in the center of the ring and the entire ring collapsed uh, which was designed that way uh wwe and other people will tell you that the ring was never meant to break like that but it was definitely designed that way and the place lit up and you heard the chance of holy shit and it was a cool moment i mean you know two big guys like that you know it's like the battle of king kong and godzilla you know in new york city and and but the wrestling ring between big show and and brock was like their new york city they destroyed the ring uh to to try and kill each other and it was a cool moment cool visual um but then it's kind of you know in some ways uh it, it's felt cheapened over the years i mean it definitely deserves a spot on any smackdown list when it comes to smackdown's greatest moments but uh they've done it before uh they're i'm sorry after this i should say uh, they did it, and I believe Big Show's been a part of every single one of those moments they've done it. After this with Brock, he did it with Mark Henry at Vengeance in 2011. And I believe he did it with Braun Strowman uh, recently, within the last year or so, on Monday Night Raw. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the first one was cool, but these last two, I mean... It is what it is, but this moment definitely, uh, as a fan watching it, was a cool visual to see and something that, um, yes, it's been done before with big guys, like and especially Big Show, but um, definitely deserving on a SmackDown list. As we get to number two, and this one here is a little personal for me i'm gonna i'm gonna try and take my time with this one and if i uh, get a little emotional i apologize but uh 
Coming in at number two was uh, the, uh, the the tribute show WWE did two days following the September 11th attacks. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I lost a family member, my cousin Keith, in the September 11th attacks. He was a paramedic at New York Presbyterian Hospital. And to kind of set the scene for you as to, um, as to how this moment this has affected me, the SmackDown moment, um, let me take you back a little bit. The morning of September 11th, uh, I was in uh, community college in culinary class, baking class, and I walk into the room and there's a TV on and I see a plane in a building and they said a plane hit the World Trade Center and I just thought it was one of those three or four passenger puddle jumper planes and, you know, it was un uh, obviously, you know, it was very unfortunate, but um, I didn't understand the gravity and the magnitude at the time. So uh, the, the instructor shuts the TV off. We get to work. We're starting to do our project. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, someone from the office comes in and tells us another plane just hit the, hit the, the second World Trade Center. And I'll never forget, like, all of us in the class just kind of looked around each other. And then that same person was like, kids, we're going to war. And this, like uneasy anxious uncomfortable warm feeling in my body just kind of took over me and the first person i thought of was my brother daryl who at the time was just starting high school uh, my brother daryl uh, uh is is an individual a very special individual with with special needs he's on the spectrum the autism spectrum and Daryl, at the time, I wasn't sure how he would react to finding out news like that. I'm very protective of him, and uh, I, I wanted to be there for him. So I did my best to, to to leave the class to try and get to a phone so that I could have my parents maybe call the school and see how he would be. And not too long after that phone call was made, I was told that, you know, state facilities in the state of Connecticut and public schools are closing um, due to this issue. They're, they're our country's in a state of an emergency. So I got in the car and I ended up having to drop a classmate off at his house. And then I went home and, you know, my brother was home and everything was fine with him. And he was, he was, uh, you know, he, he, he heard about it, but he he didn't freak out like I thought I would. So I kind of overthought I overthought the situation. But my mother says to me, she goes, um, "We just found out Keith is down there, and he hasn't reported back to his station yet." So then, like that warm, uncomfortable feeling kind of returned in my body. So for the next several hours, uh, you know, my my mind was focused elsewhere, and. After, a f you know, towards the end of the night, I was getting ready to go to sleep, and uh, my parents got a phone call, and it was that they found Keith's ambulance in the rubble, uh, in the debris, but everyone in his unit returned to their post, and he didn't. So, in my mind, I had hope and faith that well, maybe he hit his head on something and he lost his memory. He doesn't know who he is and he doesn't know where he's at. But we'll find him. And the hours went by going into the next day. Did not hear a word from him. 
you know, at the time, cell phones and cell phone towers were, were, were down for a significant period of time because of this terrorist attack. And so they couldn't get a hold of Keith. And then when they did, the phone was dead. So uh, I remember seeing at that time that on WWF.com that they were that they were uh, canceling their SmackDown taping, which they normally taped on Tuesdays. And they were in Houston and they would let, you know, they would let viewers know uh, the status of the next episode of SmackDown uh, in the, within the within the few hours. And a few hours later, they had uh, they had uh, you know announced that they were going to do a live special tribute on Thursday evening uh, to honor the memories of you know the the victims of this horrific terrorist attack. And so I remember my brothers and I all sitting in my bedroom the four of us and uh watching this show and um all with our thoughts on our cousin keith in hopes that he's found and he's safe and by that point it was thursday night and it was two days and he was still he still wasn't found and uh so we um we were at the point where well all I care about is that he's alive and he's breathing. I don't care if he's in a wheelchair and he's eating food out of a fucking straw for the rest of his life. As long as we have Keith back, that's all that matters. And that was the, 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 the general consensus amongst us Rosenbluth boys. Um, and we were bracing ourselves for a very emotional uh, SmackDown event. And it truly kicked off in a very emotional manner with Lillian Garcia singing a unbelievable rendition of the national anthem. I'll never forget watching her try to get through that and doing it so well and seeing the tears well up in her eyes. And all I could think about was Keith and I remember during each commercial break, I would get up and I'd ask my parents, did anybody call? Did Aunt Diane and Uncle Ken call? Uh, have we heard anything about Keith? And my parents would tell me, no, we'll let you know. We'll let you know. Each commercial break, I did that. And uh, I did it because I couldn't hear the phone ring in our house because us Rosenbluth boys like to have the TV jacked up really loud. So uh, I remember the four of us watching the show and, you know, this was the first time where we watched it because it was wrestling, but we weren't so entertained by it. I mean, they did a good job entertaining fans and getting people into it in the arena. And it was a very lighthearted, um, uh, you know, presentation. But all four of us on our mind, it was all about Keith. And I'll never forget the end of that show when uh, I believe it was... Um, Kurt Angle had kind of come out and he was waving the flag. I think it was Kurt Angle. It was either Kurt Angle or The Rock, one of the two. I don't remember that much because it's been such a long time. But um, I remember all of us just kind of looking at each other, the four of us, and, you know, feeling like, you know, okay, for two hours we we were distracted, but at the same time we weren't because our mind was on Keith. So, uh, you know, the, the, the speeches that the guys made and the, and the girls made in between the matches, you know, Bradshaw's speech is very memorable. Stephanie McMahon had a very memorable speech. But just you felt like you were, you were suffering with them during that moment as they were, you know, telling their loved ones everything's going to be okay. 
you know, when, when they, you know, when they allow, you know, us to fly back, we will, we will get home as soon as possible. And, uh, you just felt this sense of like solidarity and pride and patriotism, uh, as, as you were watching that and obviously it was on a more personal level for us Rosenbluth boys I'll never forget um, at the end of that show when it was all said and done all of us were crying not because of what we were watching on TV but because of what we were going through and the inevitable that we felt was coming that we weren't going to find Keith and eventually we didn't uh, or I'm sorry eventually he didn't come back he was found five months later, but um, in the south tower of the the mezzanine of the World Trade Center, I believe that was the first tower that was hit, or maybe that was the first tower that fell. I don't remember, but uh, he was he he died doing what he loved, and that was helping people. And uh, he will always be our, our hero as Rosenbluths. He will always be our hero, and never be forgotten. And when I think of that moment, that 9-11 tribute show that WWE did on that SmackDown that night, um, in my mind, I have that visual of you know Vince McMahon and The Rock standing on the ramp and leading the the rest of the roster with with you know little American flags. But I also have that picture of Keith in my brain and what we were thinking that evening um, as we were watching that event and uh you know i want to apologize for kind of rambling on a little bit it was it's a subject that i'm comfortable talking about especially on a platform like this because you know i'm honored to say that my cousin fought for his country and he died for his country and i'm honored to say that he was and is my cousin and what he did for a living helping people I can put that notch on my belt and say that I was I'm related to him. That's my family. And yeah, I, there's there's no more that I can really say other than you know, it was it was it was a rough it was a rough night watching that show, but it comes in on this top 10 list because I felt it was very important um not just a moment for wrestling, not just a moment for SmackDown, but a moment for America. Um, I felt like the world was watching that show that night because um, they did their very best to try and entertain people who were suffering and who were upset and who were hurt by what those animals did to this fucking country. And I'll never forget that night for as long as I live. And this almost didn't make my list, but this was a moment about our country and about America and how we all came together that night. And WWE's presentation on SmackDown helped us all come together. Us Rosenbluth boys can say we all sat down and we watched that episode that night, even though it may not have been the greatest episode of wrestling to watch. We all sat and watched it because that's what we did. We watched wrestling, but we watched it with a different purpose that evening. And uh, to try and climb out of that emotional recollection of that moment, um, we end this countdown with a very funny moment, and it's going to be kind of it's going to be kind of hard to to get back into, you know, the the 
the humor and the, the fun-loving nature that is professional wrestling. But this moment, and hopefully we can do it, but uh, I'm pretty confident we will. Uh, this moment comes in at number one. The Stone Cold Steve Austin Booker T Green Frog Grocery Store Brawl. Coming in at number one on the Kicking Out at Two Greatest Smackdown top 10 list, whatever you want to call it. I've just, I, I totally fucked up my own, the title of my own list here because I'm so out of sorts and out of whack from uh, talking about uh, that, that, you know, the, the, the 9 11 tribute show coming in at number two. But yeah, um, Austin and Booker T in the grocery store, that brawl uh, definitely was a lot of fun to watch it as a, as a, as a young Dave Rosenbluth, an 18 year old Dave Rosenbluth at the time. Um, that was coming off the uh, the storyline with the Alliance ending and WWF winning. Vince McMahon had Kurt Angle in his back pocket, who was on the Alliance team the entire time, and the WWF turned up the victors and got full control of their company again. There was no more WCW. There was no more ECW. However, uh, ironically enough, Steve Austin was still the WWF champion, so Vince McMahon couldn't fire him on television. So, uh, what's the next best thing to do? Well, I'll just try and make his life a living hell. And we got another reboot of the Austin McMahon uh, storyline. And McMahon had hired Booker T back. And it was kind of like a jab to Ric Flair, who was the co-owner of the WWF at the time. And... Uh, Vince was trying to make Austin's life a living hell and Flair was trying to, you know, trying to establish his ownership stake within the WWF at that time and he he made a match for the Vengeance pay-per-view to determine one undisputed champion because The Rock was still the WCW champion and Stone Cold Steve Austin was still the WWF champion. But they made a, a little mini tournament that night. It was Rock defending the the newly christened World Heavyweight Championship against Chris Jericho and Stone Cold Steve Austin defending the World Wrestling Federation Championship against Kurt Angle. And the winners of each of those matches would meet in the main event to determine one undisputed World Wrestling Federation champion. Jericho managed to get by The Rock, and Austin managed to get by Kurt Angle, which led to the main event, Chris Jericho and Stone Cold Steve Austin. The match is really nothing to write home about, but Booker T got involved, and he cost Austin the undisputed WWF championship. And we were off to the races then, and Austin wanted his revenge. And the the, the story goes on SmackDown that night that uh, – Booker T, he managed to end, he, I think he left the arena because Austin wasn't there and he was, you know, um, he was kind of hiding from Stone Cold. I think he was like on the run and uh, and he ends up in this grocery store and he hears a familiar voice in the background and, you know, we're off to the races. I mean, some of the funniest stuff in that segment that I can recall was uh, when Austin's, you know, he, he basically destroys the entire produce section of this grocery store with Booker T. And then he makes it to um, a certain part of the grocery store and he grabs like a big stick of pepperoni and he goes, 
When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. And then he hits him with the stick of pepperoni on the top of the head. And Booker T's just like wincing in pain and hyperventilating. And he's like overselling it and being overdramatic. And, you know, Austin's just basically beating his ass and talking shit to him on the way to that ass whooping. Uh, they made it into the milk cooler. And then Austin comes out of the milk cooler drinking a, a, a gallon of milk. And he beats Booker up with it. And, and the, 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 the best part for me was when... Uh, when Austin uh, took Booker T and he scanned him on the uh, the scanner, uh, you know how when you're at the grocery store the barcode hits the scanner and it beeps. Well, he kept scanning Booker T and the <laughs> the, <laughs> the 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 scanner kept beeping and you could just hear Booker like wincing in pain. He's like covered in just about every kind of food imaginable between milk and flour and and uh, all different kinds of. Uh, different textures of, of, of food and liquids and he they Austin brought him to every section of that grocery store and beat the fucking shit out of him so uh, the end he scans him across the, the, the checkout and uh, what's funny is is that in that moment um, there's people checking their groceries out and I believe the, the, the cashier was at the register when Austin was checking Booker T out through the, the, the checkout line, through the, belt, the the conveyor belt. He slides off the belt onto the ground and then you hear the, the, uh, the sirens of the police that the, you know, the, the police were coming and the, the, the line to, uh, to put the exclamation point on the end of the sentence, Austin says, price check going to check us. And, uh, <laughs> that about did it for me right there. And that's, uh, uh, that to me is my favorite. When I think of SmackDown, that's like my favorite moment. I remember reading the spoilers when that moment took place, and the guy who did the report was like, "You're gonna want to go out of your way to see this segment. It was awesome." And Austin had a, had this ability when he wasn't in the ring uh, to be one of the the most entertaining. He was a very you know rugged and badass character and took no bullshit but um he had this like comedic delivery and timing about him uh that was just so entertaining and something that gets overlooked a lot i mean people look at austin and it's like okay he's you know he did all this stuff with these vehicles beer trucks zambonis and monster trucks and things like that and he's you know flip people off and the beer bashes but people i think sometimes forget how funny the Stone Cold Steve Austin character really wasn't. I think, in my opinion, this was the best. That and the Kurt Angle stuff were like his best comedic um, performances within WWE. And this was why it makes number one. Because I just had a blast watching it. I remember I taped it and I showed my brothers and I showed my friends. I was like, oh, look, he puts them through the checkout line. And I couldn't stop laughing. So coming in at number one on the official kicking out at two, top ten SmackDown list. Stone Cold Steve Austin and Booker T's grocery store brawl at the Green Frog grocery store. All right. Um, this has been a lot of fun. I'd like to thank you guys for uh for, for joining me this week as you as you could tell uh i was flying solo this week i did this all on my own because uh i didn't want to bother anybody uh you know with trying to take time out of their schedule to come into the studio to do this show i love doing it with someone because it's better that way for me i can kind of bounce back and forth with other people um so this time around i just kind of wanted to to you know 
let people have a life because everyone's got real lives, you know. Justin, the offensive coordinator here on Kicking Out of Two, who helps helps put a lot of these things together. He you know, he's planning for a wedding, so he's been very busy lately. Other people with their work schedules: Wild Bill Brown, McCousin, Dennis Levy, my good buddies Donovan and Donnie. Uh, you know, I I just thought like you know. I don't want to bother anybody with it this week, so you know I'm just going to kind of knock this one out myself. Hopefully, I did a good job for you guys flying solo. If I didn't, by all means, I can take constructive criticism, so let me know what I, how I did on this show over on social media, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two, over on Twitter, at kicking out two. Just, you know, tell me if I if I did a shit job or if I actually did a decent job. Or if you just want to discuss some of your favorite SmackDown moments in SmackDown history. Whether you agree with mine, whether you disagree with mine, whether you agree with WWE's or disagree with WWE's. Let us know. Just debate. Discuss. Let your voice be heard. All right. Stay tuned next week over at SoundCloud.com as uh, Dennis Levy's going to be joining me and he's going to recall some of his fondest memories of his time watching the original Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. We kind of touched upon this subject a little bit in our uh, our Guilty Pleasures episode, which is in the archives over at SoundCloud.com. And uh, with the upcoming WWE Evolution pay-per-view, um, I felt like the girls from the original Glow, they don't get enough love as to what they contributed to uh, women's wrestling. They were the first all women's wrestling program, and WWE Evolution coming up in in the next uh, in the next few weeks is going to be the very first WWE all women's pay per view. And you know WWE has done a good job of highlighting you know some of the women from the past, like the Mae Youngs and the Trish Stratuses, who will be on that card, and 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 Lita, and you know Sensational Sherry and uh, Alundra Blaze, Medusa. They recognize the females that that um, paved the way for the girls that are you know competing today on WWE. But I feel like the girls from Glow they just don't get enough love. So I thought that you know Dennis and I we could sit down and he's going to kind of educate me because I don't have a whole lot of uh, knowledge on the original Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. So Dennis is going to. Um, sound off on you know his thoughts and memories watching glow and uh give you guys a history lesson if some of you don't know all about the original gorgeous ladies of wrestling so if you're a women's wrestling fan next week you guys are in for a treat with myself and the great dennis j levy all right i think it's about that time i think as they say it's time to go home uh there's no more false finishes there's no foot on the rope. There's no foot under the rope. There's no run-ins. It's time that this show gets put down for the three count. And with that being said, I will see you all next week.